It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey Mets fans, welcome back to Amazing Avenue in Conversation. My name is Brian Salvatore, and today our Grace Carbone will be in conversation with Ben Zosmer, the Mets Director of Baseball Analytics, and also, wait for it, an Oscars expert who uses analytics to try and predict the Oscars every year. Ben is the author of the book Oscar Metrics, The Math Behind the Biggest Night in Hollywood, and he's also found on Twitter at Ben's Oscar math. And what he does is he uses different models to try and predict the Oscars. He does so with, um, I mean, enough success and regularity that he writes for The Hollywood Reporter. I said he wrote a book about this, and he has a very, very popular Twitter account with over 16,000 followers just about Oscars math. So Grace is our resident film buff, as you know from last week's conversation with Trevor Hildenberger, and so she and Ben got together over Zoom this week to talk about the Oscars that just happened, as well as the Oscars in general, a little bit about Ben's job with the Mets, and just generally how predicting these things go. So, enjoy. Just one quick note, there is a slight dropout in the call about a minute and a half in, but that's the only real sound issue we have. So you're going to hear Grace ask how long Ben has been doing this for, and his answer seems to be very abrupt because we lost a little bit of audio in there due to an internet issue. But after that, it's smooth sailing, so enjoy. 
Ben, I figured just to start off, because I'm sure there are a lot of people listening to this who don't know exactly what you do. They know you're in the front office, but they don't know. What exactly is your job with the uh, New York Mets? Or just like a brief? I'm the director of baseball analytics. So I get to oversee a department that includes data scientists who are building models, your typical money ball type work, uh, and also a number of employees who are the liaisons between those data scientists and the rest of the baseball operations group. So the major league staff, the minor league staff, and so on. Okay. So it sounds like obviously analytics is a big part of your job. And then to parlay this into what you do as a hobby, very similar to your Oscar math um, formulas and stuff like that. I assume you use a lot of probably similar formulas to sort of figure out the Oscar uh, stuff, like, like same ideas and stuff. I've, I'm, I'm not a statistician. I'm, I took a statistics class in my first semester of college and that's about topping out where I've been. So I'll, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I, the, the general premise of many types of statistical models, both of these included, uh, are the exact same. It's taking past data to try to predict future data. And sometimes the actual methods being used are, are not necessarily the same for various reasons, but the, the goal is always the same, is how do we interpret this historic data that we have and figure out the likelihood of various outcomes happening in the future. So I'm a big fan of your, uh, I'm a big Oscar dork. So I'm a big fan of your, your statistical, like I, I use those a lot during the years. It's, it's nice to sort of be able to keep track of where every film is in terms of the race. How long have you been doing that? I know you've, I've been seeing you doing it, The Hollywood Reporter for years now. Film season going into the 2012 Oscars uh, and has been going ever since. All right. That sounds, that's, that's the year of the artist and Moneyball and all those films. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> kind of funny for me that the very first year I did this, Moneyball was in fact one of the nominees. <laughs> um, I know you've said you went back. I've read in interviews, you, you go back and you sort of use prior not, uh, like winners and everything like that to sort of create these systems. Um, how far back have you, like, did you go in terms of creating the things to the, the systems to sort of be able to use them now? Because I'm sure, you know, you need years of prior data to be able to, to like say, okay, this matters more than this and everything like that. So it's different for different categories because uh, some categories of the Oscars have data that goes back further, some don't, uh, but it's not as far back as you'd love. You'd love for it to go all the way back to 1929, the very first Oscar ceremony, but Unfortunately, while the Oscars go back that far, a lot of the predictors or potential predictors don't. Uh, a lot of them don't get started until much more recently. You think about some of the more famous ones, the Producers Guild starting in 89, the Screen Actors Guild starting in 94. And so I can really only go back as far as I have not only Oscar data, but data from all of these predictors as well. So it, it varies by category, uh, but in general, it's stretching back into the 90s and not too much further back beyond that. Okay. Um, do you have, because I'm interested to know, like, how did you get into the Oscars? Because this is something that you, you do this when you're into the Oscars. You don't do this just for fun. Like that, that is an undertaking. Yeah. I, for me, I always grew up watching uh, movies. I always grew up as a, a big Oscars fan. We would watch every year as a family. Uh, and then starting uh, around senior year of high school, we started as a family watching all of the Best Picture nominees together. Uh, and so then it was that freshman year of college, the very next year, where I just wanted to know who would win. Uh, so I wasn't necessarily looking to build my own model. 
but I went on the internet, tried to find some model that somebody had built. And when I couldn't find one covering every category and doing this mathematically, I then decided to give it a shot myself. All right. Um, so this year's Oscars just happened on Sunday, as a lot of people know. Um, what are some of your favorite films that were nominated this year? I'm sure you saw a lot of them, if not all. I did. So, well, I watched all the Best Picture nominees. I do that every year. And then, you know, a few others here and there as, uh, as time allows. My favorite of the Best Picture nominees this year uh, was actually Promising Young Woman. Uh, obviously not a Best Picture winner. It did win for Emerald Fennel for Best Original Screenplay, which uh, I personally thought was very deserved. My, my own opinions don't go into the math at all, but I am a movie fan. I can't help having my own opinions as I watch these movies. Uh, also uh, thought Trial of Chicago 7 was really strong. Uh, the Father was a really unique movie that was really cool. I enjoyed uh, Sound of Metal, Judas and the Black Messiah. So a number of, uh, of really good entertaining movies, not the cheeriest year uh, yeah. of, of cinema <laughs> in terms of the eight best picture nominees, definitely a lot more on the uh, poignant, thought provoking side, uh, definitely can get you down at times. Uh, but still some really well-made movies, uh, which y you have to tip your cap. I mean, some of these were made pre-pandemic or partially, but you know, many of them having to deal with uh, incredibly difficult uh, situations, both to create the movies and to put them out. And so the fact that there were so many good movies this year is quite a testament to the people in Hollywood. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking that too. It's a very, it was a very strong Oscar year. I remember seeing when I saw the nominations, I was like, this is a really good group. I'm a big Promising Young Woman fan too. It was my favorite film of the year. So I was very glad to see that win original screenplay. And I know a number of people at the website are fans of Promising Young Woman too. Um, so the ceremony got a little unpredictable at times this year. Is there, that, is there, a, yeah, I'm, I'm going to ask this and I feel like I know the answer. Is there a certain category that stood out to you as being something of a shocker in terms of the winner? Uh, how, how could it not be best actor? Yeah. Uh, so, so I do, I do give the model credit that uh, it had Chadwick Boseman significantly lower than I think many others did. He was in, in the sixties in terms of his percentage and Anthony Hopkins was a strong second place for the father. Uh, so it definitely knew there was some inkling of a chance that maybe this wasn't as sure of a thing as everybody was talking about. Uh, but I'm not going to beat around the bush here. That was still an upset. There's no doubt about it. That's why uh, no nominee will ever reach 100% in the model. And it's also why no nominee will ever reach 0% in the model. Upsets do happen. It should be that something predicted to win, say, 20% of the time, one out of five times it's going to win. Uh, and uh, that's exactly what happened. Uh, I think that it's not really going to be remembered as much for the upset itself as for the way the ceremony played out, uh, which, you know, if anything, it is confirmation that the producers genuinely don't know the results yeah. going into the ceremony. Uh, but uh, I think from my perspective as an Oscar fan, it was a strange choice either way, uh, that even if uh, Chadwick Boseman had won, you still could have had an extremely moving tribute to him and then done Best Picture next uh, to sort of keep that traditional order. Uh, I admire them for thinking outside the box, for trying to sort of reinvent the wheel a little bit. Uh, but at the same time, uh, as it turns out, uh, they they were not going on the map. They were not realizing that Anthony Hopkins had a legitimate shot there. Uh, and they gambled on a moving Chadwick Boseman tribute to conclude the ceremony. It backfired. Uh, and uh, it, 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 I don't know if it's quite La La Land Moonlight in terms of how it'll be remembered, but it was not the smoothest ending to an Oscar ceremony. So. <laughs> Uh, when you ask me which is the category that stands out, I have no choice but to say best actor. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I asked that question. I mean, how again? How could it not be? They they really that big swing at the end. 
And like you said, they could have still, if he won and it was like third to last, because traditionally the order is actor, actress, picture, you still have that moment. Like no one's taking away when Heath Ledger won that that was such a moving moment when he won. Like, right. you know, so they took a gamble. I actually read, funny enough, I believe in the Hollywood Reporter, an article that they tried the same thing in 1947 presenting best actress last betting that it was going to be Rosalind Russell and then it wasn't so they really probably should have looked at Oscar history in that moment and you know, that that does raise the question of did the producers know that story from yeah. uh the the 20 or the 19th Academy Awards uh or did they think they were coming up with something entirely new and it turned out that history repeated itself and I, yeah. I don't know I don't know how much <laughs> producers did their homework um I, I mean, looking at your, I was looking at the models afterwards too, because it's always fun to sort of go back and see like, okay, this was projected or, or this was predicted to win or that. Um, have there ever been years where you've done your model and you've said, okay, so like this year, Carrie Mulligan in your model was a few points ahead of Frances McDormand. So she was projected to win. And then also I remember best original song, I believe it was Speak Now was far ahead right. and Fight For You was very low down. Yeah. I personally looking at those I was like yeah that makes sense but also when I saw Nomadland something in me said Francis is gonna win and when I saw uh, her win at the Grammys I was like she it's somehow impossible that her goes to this award ceremony and leaves without an award because it seems that every single time she's nominated she gets something is yeah. there ever a like a case where you run your model you get the numbers you put them down you say this is what it says but my gut still says something else oh quite a few I, I would say there's usually about one or two per year that are like that. Uh, so this year there was definitely one, which was documentary feature. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, at all of the earlier predictors, uh, this time the documentary was yeah. uh, cleaning up uh, and was doing very well. And if anything, if if you had to pick who was in second or third, it probably would have been either Crypt Camp or Collective. Uh, those movies were winning quite a bit. Uh, the Mole Agent also got nominated for the Oscar, wasn't winning quite as much going in, but it seemed like those were the top three and time was well out ahead. And then suddenly at the very end, uh, My Octopus Teacher started winning some of the bigger name things. Uh, and that led to a lot of people predicting it. Uh, and you know, on a gut level, that tells me there's some amount of momentum there, which is hard to capture. Uh, and uh, it was enough for My Octopus Teacher to get very close. Uh, it was at around 30%-ish, uh, 30 to 40%. And then time was somewhere between 40 and 50%. So less than half, less than 50%, but still the front runner. Uh, but if you'd asked me, you know, in terms of filling out an Oscar ballot, I probably would have guessed my octopus teacher. Uh, that said, there have been plenty of times where uh, I think, now nah, that's not going to happen. My gut is very against whatever the math says. Uh, and it turns out the math gets it right. That time. <laughs> so, you know, it, it goes both ways. Yeah, that my octopus, like you said, like as someone who follows all these awards, it was seeming to pick up these very, like the big ones, but time was getting everything. And I also feel like documentary, the branch itself does some really out of left field things all the time. I mean, this year you had films like Dick Johnson is Dead and Boy State seemingly very well received and then they got shut out. And it seems that that branch seems to just, I don't know what their method is. They also shut out Hoop Dreams back in 94. And I know that that voting method was absolutely insane where they would just shine flashlights as soon as they didn't like a film, you got five minutes into Hoop Dreams and it was turned off. Um, it, yeah, it's the list of documentary <laughs> features that, right. It, it certainly goes on. I, yeah. Uh, I, you think of uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor a couple of years ago or Jane the year before that. Uh, what's remarkable about those is those were the rare times where had they been nominated, the math might have even favored them to win. 
uh, because they'd won so much prior and yet they weren't nominated. Sort of a similar situation with the Lego movie uh, for animated feature a few years back where something wins everything and doesn't even get an Oscar nomination. And the math kind of looks at that and goes, wait, what? Uh, so that does happen too. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm interested to know because, you you know, and I mean, obviously, um, sometimes that these these results go at every single ceremony. You mentioned animated feature. Um the math might not take into the account something like the fact that animated feature almost predominantly goes to Disney Pixar. So no matter what wins at a prior ceremony, the for whatever reason, the Oscars seems to go primary. I think they said 11 out of 19, it might be 12 out of 20 now, has gone to a Disney or Pixar film. So do you account for that in your math that they might have a bias towards a studio or a filmmaker? It's funny, I actually wrote a whole chapter about the do they have a a Disney Pixar bias for animated feature uh, in my book, Oscar Metrics. Uh, And the answer that I found actually is there's not a substantial bias. Uh, So I have to define bias carefully here, but to me, a bias would mean they're honoring the films more than they deserve. And it's hard to say, what do they deserve? You can't really use math to uh, evaluate the quality of the movie. And so I just use critic scores, Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes. And the answer is, uh, not much that uh, on the whole, yes, they're honoring Disney Pixar a whole lot more, but they're also the best reviewed movies of the year. And so it might just be that uh, Disney Pixar are, are producing the best animated movie of the year more often than not. Um, so for instance, this year, I didn't specifically have a Disney Pixar variable in the model, but the model actually said that Soul was one of the most likely nominees to win in any category of the night. Short of Daniel Kaluuya for supporting actor, Soul was well out in front. I know. Some others were predicting Wolfwalkers. Uh, the math was pretty low on Wolfwalkers. It thought Soul had this in the bag. Uh, now, we, we don't know if that was correct in the sense of did Soul win by one vote or did it win by a thousand votes? All we know is that Soul won. Uh, but it does show that even without that variable, Soul was able to win enough other things in the lead up to the Oscars that it was still able to be the clear favorite mathematically. No, I'm interested in like how you make these models because there are so many, especially now, there's so many precursors. There's, you know, there's like a million critics groups. There's all these guilds. Uh, when you do that, do you weigh certain things more like um, the, the cat, like if you're doing best picture, the ensemble cast at SAG award might obviously, you know, might count more than this group or, or whatever. Is there a way that you sort of measure that? Exactly. Uh, what I try to do is I try not to use my own opinions as to what the weight should be. I try to set up a statistical framework, if you will. And basically the goal is to give more weight to the things that have done a better job of predicting that category in the past. So uh, I plug everything in and then I ask the math, okay, 
give me weights based on how well these things have done. Uh, because I don't want a situation where I am sitting here saying, okay, well, that's gonna be a weight of three and that's gonna be a weight of two. Because if you start to play that game, you allow your own personal biases and opinions to get in the way. Uh, and so instead I just say, here's all the data, here's how well these things have done in each of the last 20, 30 years, whatever it may be. Uh, what do you think the weight should be? Uh, and let the computer try to spit out its best answer. In your years of doing all of these Oscar predictions, because you say you've been doing them for 10 years, is there one year that, not even like a specific category, but is there one year that really sticks out to you as being sort of more unpredictable than others? And then on the other side, is there one year that like just everything seemed to just fall into place 100% perfect? Yeah, it bounces around. Overall, on average, the, the front runner wins about three quarters of the time. And in the other quarter, they're, they're upsets, whether it's the second place nominee or, or sometimes even lower uh, on rare occasion. Uh, but Strangely enough, the two most extreme were back to back. Uh, so just two years ago, the 2018 movies into the 2019 Oscars, uh, that year, the only 12 of the 21 favorites won, uh, which was a, a huge number of upsets. Uh, and then just the year before that, the Shape of Water year, uh, it was 20 out of 21 favorites won. Uh, there was only one upset, incidentally, for Best Documentary, which we were just talking about. Uh, but, that was Icarus, right? That, that was, was Icarus, Icarus. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, you know, it, it bounces around. Uh, I would expect just about every year to fall somewhere in between those two extremes. Falling below, say, half of the favorites winning seems pretty unlikely. Even this most recent year, which was a pretty unpredictable one, still more than half the favorites won. Uh, and getting above 20 out of 21 also seems extremely difficult because it seems very unlikely that there won't be any upsets at all in a given year. Uh, so it, it bounces around between those two extremes. Yeah, you said the thing about 2017. I was thinking about that year because that seemed like the year where I remember watching all the award shows and it seemed like every single one you had the same exact acting winners, same exact director winners. So it must have been the, the I mean, you said that it can't get to 100 percent, but I feel like a lot of those uh, nominees that end up winning probably were pretty close to 100 percent. Yeah. And I suppose, it's, you know, if you uh, uh, if I'm able to do this for the next hundred thousand years, or, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> Uh, however many years it takes, at some point, there presumably should be a year where all the favorites win. And at some point, there should be a year where only five out of 20 favorites win. Uh, you know, if you do this long enough, you would think that both yeah. extremes will happen eventually. Um, now, you, you go back, you call all that data. Have you ever run like a, a like sort of a mock you know, prediction nominee or, or not, or nominee prediction or, nom or winner predict prediction for like years that have already passed? to sort of see where maybe the math falls out on those years? Yes, I have. Actually, just this year for, uh, for The Hollywood Reporter, I did an article this past week about the biggest best picture upsets of all mm -hmm. time. Uh, all time coming with an asterisk because there's not really sufficient data before 1948. Uh, turns out Crash was the winner uh, yeah. from the model, which is, yeah, I don't think it's gonna be a surprise <laughs> to anybody. Um, but yeah, that was an attempt to sort of go back historically and say, okay, what would I have predicted? Uh, not that I was predicting the Oscars, at, uh, age 13 uh, at that point, but uh, you know, what, what would the math have predicted at that point? And then doing the same thing, you know, all the way back to, uh, you know, 1951 when uh, an American in Paris won, and that was a pretty big upset. Uh, certainly wasn't predicting the Oscars back then, uh, <laughs> but uh, on the whole, across those years since 1948, there were 15 years that the math said those were upsets, uh, and all of the other years it said the favorite one. 
Yeah, you said crash broke back. I live in a I live in a uh, household. I'm a big broke back person. My mom's a big crash person. So okay. yeah, so, so there's some, maybe a little yeah, there's a little tension sometimes okay. when we when we talk about those. Um, do you think there's any? I know I I read an article a few uh, maybe like a year or two ago. Do you think there's any years where like they would go back and like maybe the way that that the academy votes now would be different than how they voted then so the winner would change and not even like one of these big upset years but i I remember the article mentioned something about the fact that the year rocky won they went back and they polled the academy members when they wrote this article so say 2017 2018 and they had all pretty much voted for all the president's men instead do you think that the voting um method like not methods but like i I'm trying to think of the word here, like the yeah, the, the ideas do. that people would have, the way they would vote would would change the outcomes. Yes, I do think that voting systems matter. Uh, there's a whole famous field of economics. Uh, Kenneth Arrow won a Nobel Prize for this, basically showing that there is no perfect voting system where you can actually rigorously define all the things you would want a voting system to have. And any possible system, it turns out, fails at least one of them. And so they've tried... Uh, you know, different things where it's like simple majority, first past the poll, multiple ballots, uh, ranked choice. There's all these different systems that different forms of government use, different town councils across America. And even the academy has used multiple systems and still to this day uses multiple systems because they've got some systems for nominations, one for best picture voting, one for other categories. There's no doubt that, especially for closer votes, if you change the voting system, you can get a different winner. Um, In terms of the would it have actually changed this specific year though? That's a really hard question. There's really only one way to answer that. Uh, and that's to be able to have access to the actual individual votes. Uh, and so I get asked this a lot too, with you know the makeup of the academy, uh, which they're looking to expand and diversify. You know, d- does that change the, the results? Uh, the answer is we don't know because only the accountants at Ernst & Young have the individual ballots. It's not like say a US presidential election where not only are they coming back and just telling us this candidate won, but they're telling us, okay, here's how many votes they got in each state and each precinct, each county. Uh, that would be amazing for me to have that <laughs> level of data. The Oscars will never share it. Uh, and so, so the question of would Rocky have beat all the president's men under a different voting system? We don't really know that. I mean, the, the polling idea, it, it works to a degree, but the problem is a lot of those voters aren't going to answer polls. A lot of those voters, unfortunately, may have passed away. You're now talking close to half a century ago. Uh, And so, yeah, it might be that the sample of voters they were able to talk to really did prefer all the president's men, but Rocky would have won under any system because they weren't able to talk to every voter. It might also be that that came down to one vote and therefore a slightly different voting system would have led to a different result. And it's hard to say. It's a fascinating thought experiment. <laughs> um, and you, you said the thing about them trying to diversify. And that's that's something that's been very big in the last few years. They Every year, I feel like they say, we've invited our biggest class yet. Now, you don't have the math to prove this. But I personally, when I look at the nominations and the winners, it does seem to be having something of an effect. I don't know that 10, 15 years ago, Moonlight would have won or Parasite would have won or, you know, Nomadland last night. These don't seem like the traditional Oscar movies of the past. Do you do you think without having the, you know, being able to look at the ballots and everyone's names and everything, do you have a thought on whether that is actually making a, a change? Yeah, I mean, I, I share your intuition uh, in looking at the results. I think it's a wonderful thing that the Academy is no longer going to be like, 99% all uh, older white men. I, I think that there's 
room for that demographic. And also there should be room for many, many other demographics to be represented in the academy. And so I'm very glad that they've made a concerted effort towards this and have made real progress on this. I co-wrote a Hollywood Report article about that too, sort of looking at that makeup of the academy. And the answer is, yeah, they, uh, they're actually walking the walk and not just talking the talk in terms of diversifying the academy. That said, that next step of the question, does that directly lead to some recent results? That's the one where without releasing individual ballots, we just can't say for sure. Yeah. We, we can look at it intuitively and make our own judgments, but it's hard to say definitively. Do you use sort of different methods for each category? Because like you said, best picture is preferential ballot this year. And then next year it changes to straight 10. So I don't know if that, if the, and I'm sure the nomination process will change, but the, I don't know if the winning process like voting for the winner is going to change do you factor in these these different um voting methods into your your models you know because it's uh, different to it, vote for picture than it is for actress when you're just putting you know francis mcdormand's name and sending it in the answer is no but i'd love to mm-hmm. uh and the main reason i don't again gets back to this problem that all they tell me is one piece of data every year which mm-hmm. is who won mm-hmm. uh if it would give me more information like Okay, how many, because you think about how a preferential ballot works, where they'll everybody ranks one through eight or next year one through 10, uh, and then whoever has the fewest first place votes, they're off and their second place votes get reassigned to the next piles. If they would give me sort of at each of the nine stages of a 10 nominee voting process, here's how many had first place, second place, third place, et cetera, votes, that would be enormously helpful data. Uh, and then I really would treat Best Picture differently than all the others. Uh, without that data, there's really no way to treat it any differently. Uh, and then I want to circle back. You said that that you you said there's no Disney really Disney Pixar buys just because they put out you know great movies every year. And I think most people can agree when they win, it usually is a really fantastic film. Like I Soul's one of my favorite movies of the year. Coco was great a few years ago. Um, you know, like they, they consistently inside out, it's consistently good work that they put in. And I mean, you can see that if it was just a straight Disney Pixar bias, you know, maybe Onward would have won, but most people seem to like Soul more than Onward. Right. Is there any, do you, have you found any bias in the, like towards maybe a certain filmmaker, like this and that, is there anything like that in the Academy or is it just because there's, you know, seven, eight, ten thousand 10,000 people in there, there's really no bias? I think there are probably a number of biases. One of the most notable that stood out, especially in recent years, since they uh, increased the size of the best picture category, uh, is a a fairly noticeable bias towards best picture nominated films, even in categories that you wouldn't necessarily think are that related to best picture. Uh, But we've seen this more and more, and I don't think it's fair to cast aspersions on the entire Academy, but one possible theory here is that these are voters who have busy lives. And uh, you know it's, it's hard to get to see the dozens and dozens of movies that are nominated across the board. And so they're just more likely to watch the Best Picture nominees. One would hope that they don't vote in any category where they haven't seen all the nominees, but there's no mechanism to actually enforce that. Uh, and so uh, you, you see this uh, both in the nominations, you know, Uh, all five best film editing nominees this year were best picture nominees. Now, it could just be that they happen to also be the best five on film editing, who's to say. Uh, But, you know, you look across the board, the winners for, you know, cinematography and production design and sound and song and, you know, all of these this year were best picture nominees. Uh, And we've seen that a lot in the last decade. Um, Is that a form of bias? Uh, Yeah, I would would say so. It's, uh, It's hard to exactly define. When you do your winner models and you have, you know, you're, you're, you're using the 
all sorts of different data for that. You know, you use other precursors. Do you use if a film gets nominated in a certain other category? So say, you know, Nomad Land got nominated in cinematography and adapted screenplay and editing and stuff. Does that factor into it as well? Uh, yes, it does, pretty substantially. Uh, there are some categories that are really famous for this connection, you know, picture and director. Others that are maybe less famous, uh, production design and costume design tend to be like surprisingly related. Uh, and lo and behold, this year, the winner for costume design was a production design nominee and the winner for production design was a costume design nominee. And we see this a lot. Uh, so uh, in general, having nominations helps your other nominations uh, and some categories more than others. Uh, and so, yeah, that definitely is a factor. And then you said the thing where picture and director are correlated, but I feel like over the last decade, you've seen so many years where, you know, director and picture go to two separate films. Is there like, do you, um, do you weigh, do you find like, okay, maybe director isn't as indicative, in, like indicative of a winner as screenplay might be now, because you see Thomas Vinterberg got nominated for another round for director, but he didn't get into picture. There are, you know, five other nominees or four other nominees in picture that didn't get that director nomination because Thomas Vinterberg is in that spot now. Do you, are you changing your models over time to sort of say, okay, this has become more important. This has become less important. I know you've only been doing it for 10 years, so there's probably not huge changes, but are you sort of every year sort of maybe changing something a little bit just because this has now changed a little bit. This has, you know, stuff like that. So the answer is yes, but in the most hands-off way possible. Because mm -hmm. I try not to use my own judgment of, oh, I think now this is no longer predictive or this is more predictive. But I do always feed in the most recent year of data. And, and so the math adjusts, but the math adjusts slowly. Uh, and so as each year goes by and there's yet another split between picture and director, we had five over a, a seven year period, which was the first time that had happened since the 1930s. Uh, now the last two, it's been back on track. Parasite won both, Nomad Lamb won both. But uh, as each of these director picture splits happened, you could actually watch in the model over time, the amount of weight that getting a best director nomination had on winning best picture or vice versa was going down and down and down over time. Now, after each of the last two years, it's going up and up because it's happened. Now, these are not huge changes because I'm only adding one more year of data at a time and that's being added to decades worth of data, but it does change. There haven't been that many Oscar ceremonies and even fewer that I can use in the model uh, that have enough data. and so. If the last two years, hypothetically, had been yet another picture director split, then the amount of weight on that would be even lower. And at some point, if there were picture director splits every year for the next 10, 20 years, the amount of weight on that would simply go to zero and it would no longer matter at all. All right. Um, so I'm almost out of my questions, which is amazing. I do want to end with two more general you know, questions instead of getting really into the weeds like we were with the statistical models and everything like that. Uh, do you have a, I know you said you started really watching it, you know, the Oscars when, you know, 10, 12 years ago, or whatever. Do you have a favorite year at the Oscars? Like, like since you've been watching that you were, you know, you oh, liked all the, yeah. That, that's an important uh, qualifier there. Yeah. Because yeah. the, the, the other one is going to be my other question. So I want to oh, sort okay. of separate so, the two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So favorite year since I've started watching every nominee. Um, let's see, definitely that first year uh, of predicting them was very strong. I loved The Artist. Uh, I loved uh, Moneyball, um, uh, The Help and Hugo, Midnight in Paris. That was a really good year. Um, what else would I add to that? Um, yeah, that, that might be my, my strongest, uh, uh, flipping back through, uh, through previous years. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I might stick with, not that I, you know, thought every movie was my favorite, but I might go with 2011, actually. Okay. Maybe it's just a nostalgia my first year predicting them. But I, you know, that, that, that happens. I really was connected to a lot of the films from 2016 and 2017. So those years will always stick with me as being favorites, you know, even with the Moonlight La La Land mix up. You know, it's just sometimes it's the way you connect to a film in, in a certain year or a group of films in a certain year that really hit you. 2017 would be a strong contender for me, too, especially at the top. I thought that both Shape of Water and Get Out were among my favorites of the, the whole decade. Uh, and so, so that would definitely be up there. Right. And then uh, the other question that I'm sure you're anticipating now, what are some of your all time favorite Oscar wins and Oscar years? Uh, so for for years, uh, uh, it's a stereotypical answer among the the film community, but 1939 has to be up there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so my all-time favorite movie is actually not the winner that year. My all-time favorite movie is Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, uh, which was a Best Picture nominee. Uh, but Gone with the Wind, which did win, is also in my top 10. And so it's pretty hard to compete with a year that has two of the top 10, let alone uh, Wizard of Oz and Stagecoach and Wuthering Heights. And, uh, you know, it's just s- such a, a ridiculously stacked year. Um, in, in terms of other winners that I really loved, uh, Titanic, uh, I'm a big fan, uh, Casablanca, um, the, uh, yeah, I'd, uh, what else would I add to that? Uh, other favorite movies that were nominated but didn't win, uh, Beauty and the Beast, uh, The Sixth Sense, Memento was not up for Best Picture, uh, was up for other Oscars, that would be up there for me. Uh, other favorite winners, Braveheart and Forrest Gump, uh, so yeah, I could, I could go on. Thanks again to Ben Zosmer. You can find him on Twitter at Ben's Oscar math, and you can pick up his book, Oscar metrics, the math behind the biggest night in Hollywood, wherever you get finer books. You can find grace on Twitter at OD guitar. And thank you again, grace for sitting in this week and last week for bringing a little bit of movie flair to amazing Avenue and conversation. Please go to amazingavenue.com for all your Mets needs, game recaps, news analysis, and wonderful podcasts like this one. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you do find those podcasts. That helps people find out about this show and other shows of ours. Uh, you can find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. I, on, I am on Twitter at Brian Needs an App. And until next time, let's go Mets. Let's go Mets.